welcome to the latest episode of the Motormouth podcast brought to you by Insurance Post. My name is Jonathan Swift, the content director of InfoPro Digital's insurance division. And today I'm joined by Detective Superintendent Andy Cox of the Metropolitan Police, who will offer his thoughts on road safety with a short, punchy presentation and then answer some questions. Hello, Andy. Hi, good morning. So, Andy, the uh, the airwaves are yours. Great, thank you very much, and thanks so much for having me. So, um, it, obviously, since lockdown, it has been an extremely challenging uh, time for, for everybody, um, for policing itself, and, of course, for roads policing, because I think what we experienced is, um, with less congestion on the road, people were more inclined to think they had an opportunity to, to speed. Um, so, throughout the lockdown period and beyond speeding has been our, our greatest challenge um so we had have experienced some incredible speeds so in london alone we've experienced somebody at 163 miles an hour we've caught over 600 above 100 miles an hour but it isn't just those high extreme speeds uh, as well we've had you know, 74 and a 20 110 and a 30 134 in a 40 as, as an example so some really high speeds and when we were stopping these people they were really surprised to see that we we were there they expected us to be busy on, on, on covid related issues and they thought they had a platform essentially to do as they please on the road and i think it was really important for us in terms of our comms to to, to the public and to everybody really to really explain the danger of that in in terms of links to you know, road safety Obviously, we, we know speeding is the biggest single causation factor that's most frequent in terms of fatal collisions. In London, it's actually towards half of our fatal collisions, and we had 125 in London last year, are linked to speed. Um, so a really significant issue for us and trying to draw people's attention to the risk that they were posing themselves and others. And then, of course, a knock-on impact to COVID-19 um, and the NHS and the emergency services and of course potentially putting them at, at hospital where COVID patients are being down with and seen. So I think trying to draw people's attention to that, trying to tackle speed has been our, our most significant challenge. What we have done, so this year alone we've enforced in terms of our roads and transport commands, so that's basically boots on the ground. We've done over 21,000 speeding enforcements this, this year. To put that into context, we're obviously August at the moment, the highest ever entire year before, the highest ever entire year before is, is 12,000. We've already done 21,000. So you can see that we're dramatically up in terms of our speed enforcement because we ring fenced our resources, recognizing the need to protect life and, and make these in interventions at this crucial time. Um, we've done a huge amount of focus on 20 and 30 mile an hour roads. We know Low zones are where our vulnerable road users are, cyclists and pedestrians. Um, we know the 20 and 30 mile an hour zones are where most of our killed and serious injury collisions occur. We've got all the data to back that up. And we've dramatically enforced more offences there because we've prioritised our resources into those priority areas and those priority roads. And we're hopeful that's, you know, despite everything I've just said around speeding, the really good news is with our enforcement up, we're working with partners, we're concentrating on the right areas at the right time. The good news is our kill and serious injury collision rate is down and we are, 2019 was our lowest ever year. 2020 is undercutting that by about 24, 25% in terms of fatal and life-changing serious injuries. So we are seeing an impact, I feel. Um, so 
if I move on from Speedham, of course, which I said is our absolute priority, and we are very, very focused on that, we, of course, then focus on our the other fatal four, which is drink and drug drive, which is mobile phone distraction, and which is failing to wear your seatbelt. And we've enforced, obviously, uh, in, in those areas as well significantly and made a real impact on those other factors that are likely uh, to, to lead to a fatal collision. They're not as likely as speeding, which I keep saying, but they are the next on the line, uh, essentially in terms of risk. But we add as well, because I wanted to really stress this point. So from a roads policing perspective, our objective is not only road safety, but it is also to fight crime. And that's where uninsured driving comes in. We feel uninsured driving um, has a criminal link to that and a dangerous driving link to that. And that's very much part of our strategy to identify the, the most dangerous drivers and those that are like to be criminally active as well. And we think the two go hand in hand very, very frequently. Um, so we have made it an absolute focus to target uninsured driving. Um, we know uninsured drivers are six to seven times more likely to be involved in a fatal collision. Research in London shows more than half of uninsured drivers are active, and we can prove they're active in other criminality within the last two years. And we also see it a real public confidence issue so you know as a law-abiding road user myself why do i pay for insurance when these people don't to so be really try and hone in and support the lawful road user they're saying we agree with you we're going to target these people and bring them justice for it but we also know that they're likely to or more likely i should say to fail to stop after a serious collision and that creates huge impact obviously for the insurance industry but it also creates huge impact for the person that's left behind either perhaps yeah, seriously injured or just otherwise frustrated and disrupted in terms of the collision where somebody makes off. So we've done a huge amount of focus on that and we seize on average around 60 vehicles a day um, in London. Um, actually, it's slightly more than that, um, but on a conservative day, we, we seize about 60 uninsured vehicles per day. That's not enough. We know that there's a, you know, around about 175,000 uninsured vehicles in London, but it's a start and it demonstrates our commitment to it. We've also just moving slightly on, we've, we've done a huge amount to promote uh, the use of dash cam and head cam. Um, and we, we've, we're seeing more referrals than ever before. So um, the context of this in, in 2017, we had 4,000 referrals a year. In 2018, it was 5,000. In 2019, it was close to 10,000. And we're, we're easily on course to exceed um, 2019's amount of uh, referrals from the public and that's an opportunity when I say about dash cam and head cam referrals that's the public enabled to report uh, footage to us and we take action on that and the context to that is we want the public to be part of the solution because I think that enables a deterrent so perhaps a dangerous driver is looking for the speed camera is looking for the police officer or police patrol um, etc and if they don't see them, they, they're minded to drive dangerously. They think they're free to do so. What this does is allow that member of the public in the car next to them or on the roadside next to them, because it's any electronic footage, to record their activities and report it to us and for us to take action. And we take action about two thirds of the cases referred to us. So it is allowing enforcement. It is allowing deterrence. But crucially for me, it's allowing the public to be part of the solution. And I think just moving on a step from that, I very much would like the insurance industry to, to be part of the solution as well. I, I would encourage insurers to incentivize the use of Dashcam. I think Dashcam 
usage. If you're driving, you've got dash cam in your car, you're more inclined to drive safely and sensibly. It also allows um, crash investigation opportunity as well. So it's a benefit, I think, to everybody involved, both the driver, uh, the police that obviously come in behind that, other road users and insurance companies, stroke industry themselves. Just moving on again from, from, from that, just thinking about technology in the future. I think black boxes again, and we know that uh, insurance companies incentivize young drivers around this, but I, and I really encourage that. I think having black boxes in your car for whatever demographic you are in terms of age, or whatever experience you have as a driver is a really good move and a good step forward. And I think incentivizing that your sales would see benefits to you as well dramatically. So I think, you know, in summary, um, we've really prioritised speed enforcement. We've done dramatically more speed enforcement in London than ever before. We know speeding is the biggest single factor that leads to fatal collisions. We've seen a reduction, significant reduction in, in fatal and serious collisions. And of course, just one, well, the policing is just one tiny part of road safety. We do feel enforcement is a big part of our our, our contribution and, and obviously we're seeing perhaps the benefits of that. Um, we prioritise the fatal four over and above that. We have a very much a, 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 a strategy of targeting the most risky drivers, the most risky places and the most risky issues. So rather than target everybody, everywhere and everyone, we're, we're intelligent said around where we go and what we do. And when we want to have that link to fighting crime as part of our responsibilities, not just road safety, and we believe the two go hand in hand. And I think by demonstrating issues such as tackling uninsured driving, where there's an obvious link to criminality, um, we're proving that concept and that's having benefits for, for all lawful road users as, as part of that. Thanks. Thanks for that, Andy. Can I ask, first of all, uh, touching on your, your first point about speeding, uh, have you, do you expect or have you seen drivers become more respectful of speed limits as traffic volumes have gone back to pre-lockdown levels? No, so we, we it definitely, there's no doubt that all of our tracking data showed a rise in speed um, in the early part of the lockdown in every category. So from 20 to 70 mile an hour roads, every, every speed category included showed an increase in, in speed. And some of the average speeds that we scan um, were, were above the speed limit. So you had an average speed above the speed limit. So you can imagine what the upper end of that, that was. So undoubtedly, in the early part of the lockdown, it did create a rise in speed in um, across the board. Um, but actually, um, you know, our volumes are, 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 are nearly back to normality in, in London, and we've still got significant speeding issues. Um, until we get to the heart of the culture that you know people think it's okay to speed, they don't necessarily see it socially unacceptable in the same way they would see drink drive. It's socially unacceptable. We need to change that mindset. We have a very complacent culture where the driver doesn't think they'll be subject to enforcement, doesn't think they'll be um, in a collision that leads to life-changing stroke fatal consequences. And unfortunately, so, so many people are, and they don't operate in the benefit of hindsight. I meet the families who are left devastated because they're bereaved and their loved ones have you know, died as a consequence of somebody speeding. And I think until we change that culture, until everybody challenges their friends, their family, their colleagues not to speed, until people realise surely the objective of any journey is to go from A to B safely, then you know we will we, we'll continue to have issues. And, and despite 
um, yeah, we're now essentially back to normality. We are still seeing and enforcing dramatically more um, speeding than ever before. Now, don't get me wrong, we are absolutely fundamentally prioritising that activity. Um, so we are arguably going to catch more this year than last year because we're so intensively going after it. But the, the point is we still catch, you know, ordinarily, six, seven hundred speeders every single week in London just from boots on the ground traffic officers. So it is a fundamental issue and it does have fatal consequences and it has consequences to them as well, of course. So it has consequences to their licence. Um, they may lose their licence. That creates all forms of employment challenges. It, it changes their family circumstance, their financial means. It has dramatic consequences to them subject, when they're subject to police enforcement. And, you know, I just wish people would recognise, A, the risk to their licence, but more importantly, the risk to their, their life and other people's lives and all the consequences that can have if they're, they're involved in one of those devastating consequence, um, collisions. And Andy, you mentioned about the vulnerable road users and you mentioned cyclists, because obviously with COVID-19 and the fact that, you know, people might be more reticent to use public transport, are you seeing and your statistics show that more people are on bikes? And does this now, like to, to your point, mean that drivers have to be much more aware of speed limits and also much more aware of their surroundings in terms of other road users? Yeah, that's a really good point. We we, we also recognise the government, of course, are, are incentivising um, cycling. Um, so we know during the lockdown, they've announced, I think it's a two billion investment in support for cycling. Our infrastructure in London is is growing in terms of support for cycling. Um, and that's all the, the benefits you can imagine around, of course, yeah, fitness, clean air, etc. Um, but the but the reality is, therefore, for the driver, they do absolutely have to be cognizant. Now, we um, encourage headcam usage for cycling. Um, there's an issue of close pass where drivers um, you know, appear, in my experience, to, to demonstrate impatience. So they're on a, on, a, on a road, they're behind a cycle. It might be a 20 mile an hour road. The cyclist um, might be going at a reasonable speed within that. And actually what the driver does, which is for some reason, the mentality cannot be patient, cannot wait for that you know, cyclist to allow them the space because of the layout of the road and so on. And they force their way through, often to sit at the, the junction where the cyclist catches them straight back up and goes past them. Um, and the danger that creates is that close pass. Um, when you think about the speed, the, the, the vehicle velocity um, and so on, the risk it poses that pedestrian, uh, that's, sorry, that, that cyclist is so significant that that little bit of patience, that uh, would have not made any detriment to the speed of their journey in the sense that they've still got to the junction at the same time, they've still moved off at the same time. Um, creates such a risk that I just wish the driver would just think differently and think about potential consequences because we know now as well with, with head cam usage, we are catching those close passes and we do take action against that. And you know, I can think of dozens and dozens of drivers who've now got six points signs of their license on the back of head cam footage showing that close pass when actually all they had to do was demonstrate a little bit of patience and they'd have made no difference to their journey time whatsoever. Uh, uh, Andy you mentioned also there about um, drink and drug driving obviously with the pubs closed and people um, I suppose told not to socialise in the early lockdown again did you did you see a, a dramatic drop in that? I think it definitely did have a, an impact to the drink drive element um, because, as you as you rightly say, the, the, obviously the pubs were shut, so people weren't commuting back and forth from, from those establishments and so on. So it did it did have a benefit, I think, to drink drive. Um, 
obviously some of the downsides to that is sometimes people drink at home um that led to other forms of use and so on but actually then they would then sometimes go and drive um but we, we were we were cognizant that there appeared to be a drop in in the drink drive um ratios um but that again is essentially back to normality at the moment and you also mentioned uninsured driving and again you know there's a lot of talk about an economic downturn and you know when there's an economic economic downturn insurers do get very concerned about uninsured driving is it, again is this something you're very conscious of in terms of your focus going forward um you know with, with the met police it, it is absolutely because we we recognize that so uninsured driving so i don't really sign up to the fact that and i'm sure there's some examples where it might be the case but i don't believe it's the case ordinarily that people simply forget to insure um i think they choose not to be uh, insured because perhaps they've got a, a history of driving related issues whether that be they've been enforced you know speed perhaps they lost their license um or they've been in collisions you know essentially their premiums would be higher because of their, their previous background so they choose not to do it and by definition that's showing that they're a dangerous driver and they're choosing to take a risk and not be insured or they've got a criminal mindset so um and i think so often as i said earlier the two go hand in hand and that that means that person is especially risky so i appreciate the point about economic downturn of course perhaps leading to to people choosing to you know not being sure for financial reason but like i say so often in my experience it's because of fundamentally their driving background or their criminal background or both and they choose not to be insured and hence why we need as a police service and an industry with yourselves to work very closely and i do the motor insurance very work very closely with them to identify our uninsured drivers and to prioritize targeting them and to seize those vehicles and of course every time we enforce them for being uninsured they've only compounded their issue about being insured in the future because they've now got at least six points more on their license they've now got a fine they've now got a cost they've now got a get lawful insurance to get their vehicle back and they've only got 14 days to do that and they've got to pay future higher premiums for the fact they've not been insured on that occasion so it really is significant for them and one of the things that's sometimes lost if i can just make this point as well so uninsured drivers if for instance they're involved in a serious fatal collision um perhaps they're involved in that type of serious collision that leaves somebody permanently disabled and needing medical care if they're uninsured how are they paying for that? Because the um, upper, you know, the um, the other insurance company is going to go after them for their liability, and sometimes that can lead to somebody losing their house and all sorts. So, you know, I just really encourage anybody listening to to make sure they are insured because it gives them the protection from that you know, worst case scenario event I'm talking about. But it also means they're less likely to be targeted by us, and it means they're less likely to have all those consequences I've, I've just set out. And you mentioned collaboration there, Andy. How has the collaboration between the authorities and insurers changed as a result of the pandemic? I think we've 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 got a very very strong relationship with the, the Mayor Insurance Bureau. So I have regular contact uh, with them. I know how many uninsured drivers I have. They help us identify the, the peak areas. You know, they they support us on operations. So we've ran a number of. So in the Met, for example, we've had we deployed 750 officers on one shift tackling dangerous drivers with links to other criminality um, the Merit Insurance Bureau put on additional staff so that we could um, liaise then direct to check um, insurance credentials and so on um, which allowed us to seize more vehicles and it allowed us to support them in terms of identifying 
uninsured drivers and of course all the consequences that leads to. Um, so we feel we had a strong relationship anyway. I've got to say um, we had excellent support from our insurance bureau throughout. Um, I do, as I said earlier, think there's opportunity for that to be developed. I really strongly call for insurers to incentivise the use of dash cam, um, for manufacturers to, to have dash cam a standard fit in, in future vehicles to incentivise the black box scenario. And I think those sorts of activities will really help create road safety, but also um, support road users as well with lower premium um, and um, safety in general. So I think it's a really strong thing to do. It's a strong message from the insurance company around road safety and it's you know really encouraged by myself. And perhaps in conclusion, and you, you have touched on this, uh, Andy, from a motor insurer perspective, armed with the information you've given them, what can they do to protect their policyholders? I think they, they, they you know, it's very much about supporting the lawful road user. So I think, as I say, with that, I know I'm repeating myself, but with that issue around, for example, dash cam, it allows crash investigation benefits. It allows the driver to demonstrate the means that they, you know, the way they've been driving, as does black box, obviously, with all the infographics that come from that. Um, it really allows the driver, their insurance holder, their policy holder to show that the manner of their driving over a period of time, and then the insurance company can protect them by saying, here's all of our data that shows the manner of this, this person's driving that was safe, sensible, lawful, etc. Um, and allows them to be proactive about taking action on events. Because I think there's nothing, I you know, occasionally hear from drivers who haven't got a dash cam, who don't have a black box type technology in their kit, in their car, where they will say, look, you know, this happened, but I can't really prove it. My insurance company don't necessarily listen and believe what I'm saying, you know, and the technology is there. So the technology is there to demonstrate the driving, to demonstrate their sort of credentials, to help the investigative action in relation to the particular collision. Um, so if the driver's minded to use it, the insurance company incentivizes it, uh, that, will, that will create that environment that therefore technology will help, say the insurance industry will help individual drivers and it will help road safety for everybody else. Well, Andy, thank you very much for your insights and answering my questions. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Unfortunately, uh, motor insurance world has had to be uh, cancelled in uh, 2020 due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. But remember to stay tuned to our insurance posts for all future details of our motor events. We will definitely be coming back in 2021 with something related to motor insurance. So stay tuned to that. But until the next Motormouth podcast, goodbye from me. Cheerio, everybody. Mm -hmm.